All right. Hey, uh, if you've got a Bible, will you find your way to Mark chapter 12? Uh, Mark 12. Uh, We've been in a series that we've called The Heart Where Jesus Begins His Revolution. And uh, if you're just joining us or if you haven't particularly paid attention or remember, uh, what we mean by this is that that Jesus is on a process of uh, pursuing us at the deepest level of who we are. Um, It could be easy to think that Jesus wants us to live and behave in a particular way, um, that God has called us to to live or obey in in a particular way. And that's true. But more and before that, uh, what, what Jesus actually wants for us is to be in relationship with him and to know him. And the, the deepest way that that happens, the most significant way that that happens is that the very core of who we are, our heart, longs for him, longs to know him and to love him uh, and to follow him. And so when we say that Jesus begins his revolution in the heart, that's, that's what we mean. Now, the Bible has a particular way of talking about the heart. And so we've been exploring that for a number of weeks and are now at the, at the point of asking the question and have been for just the last couple of weeks of, of how that happens, of how um, God shapes and, and calls and captivates our, our hearts. In the book of Mark, we have one of the recordings and it's, it happens in a number of places in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where a, a leader asks Jesus a question and he says, hey, you seem pretty sharp, Jesus. You've been debating and answering questions really well and you're talking with people pretty well. You, you seem to, to know quite a bit. You seem wise and educated as well. And so I'm gonna ask you this question. And he asks them this question that's in Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse uh, 28. It says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all the commandments, which is the most important, Jesus? And Jesus answered with this, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then the second one, which he didn't ask for, he only asked for the, the most important, but he threw in a second one, Jesus did, and he said, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus says, if you want to know the, the greatest commandment or, or the most important one, if you want to know where to start, if you want to know what it's all about, if you want a starting place, if you want to strip away everything else and have this what it is, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's where he starts. And then he goes on soul, mind, strength, and then also love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. But he, he starts with the heart. He starts with the heart, and we've explored over the last number of weeks why that is, and that's because the heart is the, the core of our identity. We've talked about it with these, with these terms. It's the core of our identity. It's the, it's the most real part of who we are. It's, it's where our desire is. Um, it's not just an organ that pumps blood to the rest of our body, and that's the, the organ of the heart. But when the Bible talks about the heart, it talks about identity, and it talks about desire. That when you long for something, when you have affection for something, the Bible says that happens in your heart. That happens in your heart, your desire. The biblical concept of heart is also the will. And if, if you're not used to thinking in terms of the will, let me, let me, let me help you with just a, a way to frame that. The, the will is your personal power to choose and to make decisions. You as a human being have, have power to do things, to cause change in the world to start something new, to create, to go in one direction versus another. It's the way that you exert power in the world. God's created you, and you have a will. You make decisions. 
those generate from the heart. We've said this over and over and over again through this series, but Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows everything in life, everything that you do. Your heart, the condition of it, the things that it loves, the things that it pursues, the things that it has affection for, that it longs for, who you are, your life more than anything else is determined by, by that part of you, your, your heart. And so we come to the question of saying, okay, then knowing that, knowing that our heart has a particular longing or desire or direction, that it has a particular shape and orientation, how is it that we shape that so that it pursues God, so that it longs for God, so that it desires God? A guy named Paul has some ideas on, on how to do that. And he says in the book of Colossians, so if you've got a Bible, you can keep turning to your, to your right and get to the small letter, uh, small book known as Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then comes Colossians. And in chapter three, it'll be up on the screen as well. Chapter three of Colossians, uh, Paul starts with this. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. And we're gonna continue on and read the rest of the sentence. But when it says raised with Christ, Paul is writing to a young group of believers and he's addressing them, and he says, you, you are alive now with Jesus. And the implication is, and what he means to say is, that there was a time that you weren't. That you weren't with Jesus, and then you also weren't alive. You weren't fully on the road to being who you were designed to be. And it's, it may sound a little harsh, um, it may sound a little direct, um, but what he's saying is, there was a time when you were dead. I mean, like in medical terms, you're alive, but in spiritual terms, you're, you're not alive. You're, you were dead. In spiritual terms, you weren't actually who you were created and intended to be, which is a human being fully alive, knowing Jesus. And so when Paul says, since then you've been raised with Christ, he means you, you were dead spiritually and now you're alive. And the way that that happened was that God in his pursuit of you, coming after you, the Holy Spirit captured your heart, you believed in Jesus and you became alive really, really important that we understand that. And, and we have a way of reminding ourselves what that looks like and how that happens. Uh, and one of the ways that we do that is, is up there. Kim mentioned a little while ago that uh, in just a little while we'll have Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. And we'll, we'll hear from people in our own church family who have decided to follow Jesus. And they've moved from that dead place spiritually to being alive and we baptize them. And they go under the water and then they come back up. And it's this great picture and celebration of what God's done in our life. That we were dead separated from him and we've come alive because we believed in Jesus because the Holy Spirit has brought us to life. That we were raised with Christ. That's a picture of that. So there's a lot of that in just those few, few little words there. But he says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Now here's, here's what you are to do. Set your hearts. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So to set our hearts on, so to, to orient, to, to direct them, to target the things above, where Jesus is with God, right hand of God, he's in, it, it, it says, put your things on the things of God, where Jesus is with God in heaven, on the things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So there's a contrast. There's the things of this life, of this planet, of this earth, uh, and they're contrasted to the things that are above. And so we can say heaven, we can say where Jesus is, we can say the things of God. But Paul is saying, now that you're alive with Jesus and you're going through this life, you're existing here, you're living here, day to day here, set your heart first and then your mind second. But he starts with the heart. 
on Jesus above. Set your heart on me. And then he goes through and he spends several sentences in talking about uh, all the things to not set our hearts on. And then he comes to verse 12. And he says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, again, alive, we're alive with Jesus. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. So put on these things. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be this kind of person. This is, this is who you're to be. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any one of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what Paul's doing here is he's saying, this is the kind of people that we're to be. And he describes, a, I mean, a great, I mean, not only do we want to be these, these kind of people, but we want to hang out with these kind of people. <laughs> we want to have our friends and the, the, the people that support us and care about us who are near us be this kind of people. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiving. And over all those, bind them up with love. So love is kind of the ultimate one. So th- he's, he's giving us a list of virtues of which the greatest is love. The virtues are, um, it's, it's a type of character. It's a kind of, kind of person that describes the kind of people we are. Um, virtues is, and maybe another way to think about it is, it's, it's not necessarily something that you do. It's a kind of person that you are. Um, a virtue is a, um, a good moral habit. It just flows out of you. You either are a compassionate person or you're not. Non-compassionate people can actually have a moment of compassion, but they're not known for that. You have friends, you know people in your life who are just kind. They're just, it just kind of comes out of them. That's who they are. This is what Paul's describing as the kind of people we're to be. It, uh, they're just this kind, that's their virtue. Um, in the book of Luke, it's described as, uh, we read it a number of weeks ago, where Jesus is saying, a, a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A bad tree can't accidentally bear good fruit, right? It doesn't just happen. A good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. If it does, what? It becomes a bad tree. This is just who it are. It, it kind of flows out of us. And so when he says, this is how you are to be, he says, set your hearts on things above and then put on these kind of virtues. Become these kind of people. And so what he's saying is, is when we get raised with Christ, we don't go from whoever we were before to all of a sudden being this kind of people. I mean, maybe for a few moments or for a few days or even for a few weeks, but it doesn't just stick automatically. It actually takes work over time to become these kind of people. Now, we can see some significant change immediately, but to fully be those kind of people that are known for that takes time. It has to, it has to grow into us. What Paul is describing is saying, this is something that we have to consciously pursue and put on, that we actually join with God of him making us this kind of people, but we join with him in doing it. It doesn't just happen automatically. Let me say it another way. Most every single one of us in this room right now are here because we want to know and love God more. We want to hear from him. We want to be in relationship with him. Most all of us here, not all of us, but most of us here have had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We believe that he is real, that he was sent by God, that he was fully God and fully human, that he lived, died, 
conquered death and rose again. And so we want to know him and live with him and love him. And there are a lot of moments in our life where we actually don't want that. I mean, there's a lot of moments where we do, especially on a, on a particular Sunday when we lost an hour of sleep, that somebody stole that from us and we still got dressed and came, right? We, we want to know and love God, but there is moments, hours, days in our life where we actually forget about him and he doesn't seem that close. And then we realize, I actually don't long for God. And what Paul is saying is, there is a way to even in those moments to train our hearts to become more regularly in tune with God and become more like this, to where we love God on a regular basis and he's making us into becoming these kind of people more and more. There's a, uh, another way to say this is to, is to say that, that, that loving God actually takes practice. Loving God takes practice. And maybe you've never thought about that before. That you say, no, no, it's just, it's just great. I just, I just wake up and I love God. And wonderful. If that's where you're at, that's wonderful. For many of us, it actually takes practice. And that's a really good thing. We're not broken because we don't love God on Tuesdays and Fridays. It takes practice to love God around the clock. It takes practice to learn how to long for God in the ways that we do maybe on a Sunday morning or in another particular time throughout the week. That's good news that it actually takes practice. It's something that we can get better in. I want to tell you about a, another kind of love. Um, and some of you have experienced this. Some of you have not. And this might, this might sound scary, and, and that's all right. Um, another kind of love is uh, attending uh, and being present at uh, a middle school music performance. Going to a middle schooler's musical performance is an act of love and sacrifice that I would say as a parent is Christ-like. <laughs> All three of my boys have gone through this, um, and I as a parent have, have stood there with my phone trying to zoom in on my child and get a picture and to cheer for him and to smile and be so proud of him, and yet also so offended by the overall quality of what I've just experienced. <laughs> it's not good. It's, it's really bad. Hot cross buns, I don't think ever sounds good in a middle school musical. It, it's not good. It, and the reason is, is because they're not good at their particular instruments. Now, there's always like one, two, or three that are like, you know, like prodigies, and they give them a special moment where they come out from the rest of them. They're freed, and they come up to the mic, and they, they perform their instrument, and it's, it's great. And then they go back with the rest, and and it just gets lost in that because most of them aren't very good. And the reason they're not very good because they haven't been doing it for very long because they're just learning their instruments. In fact, the last one I went to, the, the teacher actually told us how many weeks they've been on their instruments and, and how many students have had to switch and adjust to balance it out to get on new instruments. And the reality is they haven't been on it for very long. They're just learning it. And so, of course, it's not going to be very good. And it's not. A few years ago, Abby... Uh, my wife uh, texted me. Um, for some just God-ordained reason, I had a prior commitment and could not go to um, a high school music performance. And uh, it was kind of the first one that, that we were going to as a, uh, as a family, as, as parents. And so she texts me and says, um, I know you're glad you're not here, but you do need to know. Advanced high school orchestra 
is so much different than middle school. And she came home and she told me about it. And it wasn't painful and she enjoyed it. And the reason was is because there's years between middle school and advanced high school orchestra where they practice over and over and over again. And what initially was a bunch of middle schoolers getting the fingerings wrong and the, the rhythm wrong and the notes wrong and not knowing how to read and all of that stuff actually goes away and, and the things become routine and they know how to read the music and they know how to play smoothly and all that blends together and it actually sounds good. And there's a little, it's faint, but there's a little hint of an idea of, I just got to go for free to see a performance of musicians who know what they're doing. And it's great. And the reason is, is because practice over time changes the experience. Loving God takes practice. Being his people takes practice. It's not automatic, it doesn't just click. It's the process of growing and being formed and having our hearts, it starts with our hearts, being formed in a way that longs for and desires and loves God. That's what we're called to, that's the process of happening. It's, and, it, and it takes regular attention. And the reason it takes regular attention is because we live in a world where there's constant pull and options and temptations and competition for the desires of our hearts. And as we said a number of weeks ago, that the message that we hear so often is that just follow your heart. And that sounds great and that plays really well. And it's actually us telling ourselves something we think we wanna hear and it leads to such folly and foolishness and pain and loss. There's earthly things and there's things above. And the earthly things that you and I live with and in every day are calling for our heart and they actually want to captivate our heart as well in the same way that Jesus does. James K.A. Smith says it this way in his really, really helpful book, um, You Are What You Love. But he says, if the heart is like a compass, it's directing us where it's pointing us where we're going, then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts, tuning them to be directed to the creator, our magnetic north. Some of us have, have lost a hunger for God and we just think, well, we might just go catch something else and replace it, or we just wait around until it comes back. That's not how we're created and designed. We're created and designed to regularly calibrate our hearts to look to God, and that takes, at times, intentionality and practice. And that's how we're, we're formed. Paul has some ideas on, on how that happens, and he actually is identifying, he points to this, this idea of, of worship, which is another way of saying, what is our heart's desire? What do we love? What do we worship? Where are our hearts drawn to? If they're like a compass, where are they pointing us to? And are we careful that it's pointing us to God and not towards all of the other things? Before we read what Paul has to say about it, I want you to listen to a, uh, an author who, who um, is not a follower of Jesus, but he understands what worship is, as we actually all do on some level. Um, and he, he was giving a, a commencement speech as a, at a college about 15 years ago, uh, which unfortunately happened to be about three years before he ended his own life. Um, str long, long struggle with depression. Um, but he was a well-known author in the in 90s and early 2000s. His name is David Foster Wallace. And he said this to a bunch of graduating uh, college students. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. 
There's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC, which means Jesus Christ, or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some infrangible, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but set of ethical principles, something, some God or spiritual type thing, he says, something that's out there. The only reason for choosing that is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive, will eat you alive. And then he goes on to list power, physical beauty, sexual allure, money, and how all of those things turn on us in the end. If it's money, we never have enough. If it's the way that we look and how we experience pleasure through sex, then those things fade over time in life and betray us. If it's power, we can never have enough and we're always anxious and fearful of somebody else having more. And Everything else in life, if we choose to not acknowledge that we're worshiping it and let our hearts pursue it, will turn in on us. And so he's tapped into just this idea that there's something else that's better for us which scripture tells us over and over, yes, there is. We weren't created just for the earthly realities of this world. We were created for something more and better. We were created to be, created to be united with God through the person and work of Jesus. That's what we're designed for. And Paul says this is how we can begin to orient our lives towards that, to begin to worship God instead of other things. And he says this in verse 15, the next verse in Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ, this is how our hearts can be formed. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You just listen, this is how to do it. This is one way, there's other ways, there's all, a, a number of other ways, but this is one most important way, and this is where Paul starts, is this is how your heart can be formed towards God. This is how we can join with God and orient our hearts towards him to recalibrate it. As James K. says, it's a compass that's pointed to our true north, to our creator. It's to worship. It's to do what we're doing right here in this space. To come together and to take our attention and our energy, our hearts and our minds, and to focus them on Jesus. And as most of us know, we need this on a regular basis to reorient ourselves, to celebrate together, to grieve together, to laugh and to cry, but more importantly, to hear from God and to meet with him. And the way that we do that as a church is we open up scripture on a regular basis. We pray together when we gather in this place. We do something that's really fancy. We call it the sacraments. And if you're not familiar with what that is, we have two sacraments. One is coming to this table, taking a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body broken and dipping in juice, which represents his bloodshed, which tells us the story of the good news, the gospel. And the other one that we have is baptism, which we don't do every week. It would be great if we, if we did. If there was a new person coming to faith every week and we could tell their story and dunk them under the water and bring them up, that would be great. We do it on several times throughout the year. And the other thing that we do, as Paul mentioned specifically, is that we sing. And in case, you're, in case you're wondering and, and you've never heard it addressed before, it, it is odd that we sing together. Like, 
we don't do that at a lot of other places. Most of us only sing in the car when there's no one else there. Or maybe at a concert or at a karaoke bar or there's not a lot of places that we actually sing with other people. And we do that. And, and the reason is it, becomes, it comes through scripture over and over that that's what we're called to as the people of God. And it actually does something to us when we sing. When, when we sing, we, we actually open ourselves up and, and God meets us in a unique way. Singing accesses our brain in a different way than anything else. And God designed us that way. And there's all sorts of study of what singing does that is, that is connected to us at a deeper level than just thinking and understanding. Again, it's the reason that God starts with our hearts. That music and song and art and beauty touch our heart in a different way than, than just knowledge and information. And not to minimize that at all, it has to be a part of it. But there's a deeper part of us that God wants to touch that actually happens through singing. And Paul talks very specifically, he says, with, with gratitude in your heart, singing to God with gratitude in your heart, that when we sing, much of what we sing is expressing gratitude to God. Much of what we do in this place, whether you know it or not, is expressing gratitude to God. Part of just showing up is to say, God, you're bigger and more important than me, and I need you at some level. And I'm grateful that you exist, because I need you. Gratitude. I read a, a great book a little while ago, just a couple weeks ago, called Rare Leadership, and they talk about appreciation or gratitude and it having this effect on us. From a brain science perspective, it's interesting to note that appreciation turns on our mental receptors. It's as if appreciation flips a switch that turns on the relational part of our brain and prepares us for interaction with other people. It can do the same thing for our interaction with God. When you appreciate somebody, you actually think about them and look at them and say, I'm thankful that, that you did this for me or I love that that you do this consistently, or I love that you're this kind of person, or I appreciate you. We're actually, there's a level of vulnerability expressed there that says, I know you and I see you, and I'm thankful, and I appreciate you for this, whatever it may be. And what it actually does, physiologically in us, is it opens us up for another level of relationship. Maybe you could say it another way. If you never appreciate or thank or are grateful for anything in your life, you probably don't have any friends. And if you want some, start being grateful. And when we sing and tell God things that we're grateful to him for, about, for, it opens us up to connection with him. If you don't feel a hunger for God, if you're struggling loving God, a great place to start this week is just to begin to list out the things that you're grateful to him for. Now, please know as you start to do that, you also might come to mind quickly of the things that you're struggling with or that you're not grateful for or you wish that were different, and that's okay. But as you start to list out the things that you're, you're grateful for, something will happen to you. You will not remain the same. It's the reason that we practice coming in and telling God we're grateful to him. I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed to, to admit that I've watched a little bit of Cheer on Netflix. I heard the amen, you're welcome. Cheer is a kind of documentary on cheerleading. It focuses on one cheer team in a school in Texas that's won a bunch of national championships. And um, they practice over and over and over again. It's these, a lot of the show is this intense focus, or is this focus on these intense practices that they have. And really, if you've never looked at, at, 
competitive cheerleading on a college level before. It's quite impressive. Um, the, the ability of ath athleticism and strength and stamina and all that is, is, is pretty crazy. Monica is the coach, uh, and I didn't remember that. I had to ask somebody. I just want to be very clear. I've only watched a little bit. Monica is, is this great coach, but she's, she yells at her team what to do, and they practice different stunts over and over, and then they, there's actually like second stringers, I don't know if you know this, but there's second stringers in competitive cheerleading, and they, somebody can lose their position, and the second stringer has to come in, and she's building her team, and they're practicing, going on. and then at, sometimes during the practice, she'll stop, and she'll say, full out. Full out. And what that means is, they all get in position, and they get ready to practice the entire two and a half minute routine straight through without stopping unless they drop someone and they dislocate an elbow and then they stop and that makes the show really dramatic apparently. But the full out is when they practice the routine straight through. And so in every show that happens a couple times. Okay, full out. And they stop practicing just part of it and they practice the whole routine through and the, the second stringers come in really close and they cheer and encourage them and they run through the whole routine and there's these 90 pound cheerleaders just flying around. It's really impressive, it's crazy. Okay, I watched a little more in a little bit. But <laughs> when she says full out, they all get in position and they go. And the reason they're doing that is because they're going to go to the national championship and they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to perform that whole thing. And because they've practiced it over and over, the performance goes pretty well. And we know any team that doesn't practice it is not gonna perform very well. When we come in here on a Sunday and we sing and we open up scripture together and we pray together, and we come to the table together and we celebrate baptism together, when we come together and we worship in this way, it's our practice. It, this is super cheesy, but it's like our full out. We're going through the motions that we need when we step outside these doors into the rest of our week and our life. We need to know things like what we sang earlier, that Jesus is the slain and risen king, that he gave his life and he conquered death and rose again. We need to remember that and be formed by that. We need our hearts oriented towards the God who is good and gracious and powerful and one of the ways that that gets deep within us, even deeper than our minds into our hearts, is to stand and to sing over and over and over again of who God is and what he's done. It shapes our hearts. We come into this place to be reminded of who we are and who God is, that we were created in the image of God. We're the only thing in all creation that is, that we were created in the image of God. And then we're to exit out of this time and this room into the rest of our lives and our weeks, able to live and act, and in the best way, perform the way that we've practiced, and be strong enough to get back to the next time that we come in and get to do it again, and to walk with God throughout the week, and to have hearts that are formed in longing for God, because it takes practice to love God really well, 24-7 for the rest of our lives, and to become this kind of people who would just, these virtues flow out of it, compassionate, kind, gentle, patient, humble, forgiving, and above all, loving. Worship does this. It forms our heart to desire God. I want you to close your eyes with me. We're going we're gonna to participate and join together in, in, a, in part of this practice right now. We're going to sing, and, and again, we often, we stand and we sing, and some of us, we raise our hands, and I know for me, I raise my hands sometimes because I, I can't help it, and then other times, because I need to, I need to acknowledge that, God, you're king, and I'm not. 
I've shared before that I wish I could sing really, really well, and I can't, which is one reason I love being a part of a church, because when we all sing together, I can't hear myself, and nobody else can, and I love singing the things that are true about my God and my Savior, because it heals and strengthens my heart, and aligns it towards him in a way that nothing else does. And we're going to practice right now singing and coming to these tables that are in front of us that again tell us the, the story that has shaped us, that's brought our hearts to life of Jesus laying down his life and conquering death and rising again. And so as you're ready, come to one of these tables around the room. There's two up here in front. There's one in the middle. There's two in the balcony toward the front. And Jesus, this morning as we come, we come as daughters and sons of, of yours that that want to love you all the time, that want to be formed more and more to be your people, not just here in this moment, but for our whole lives, every waking moment, every day of our life. And we need your help. We wanna join with you in this practice of growing our love and desire for you. And so meet us now in this place as we taste of the bread and the juice as we lift our voices to you and sing.